Hi, this is John Curry. Welcome to another episode of Secure Retirement Podcast. Today, I'm sitting with my friend Ellen Berkowitz, medical doctor with a specialty in psychiatry. And I'm going to ask her to tell you more about her background in a few minutes. But first, Ellen, thank you for joining us today. My pleasure. Tell us a little bit about how you got interested in getting in the medical field, but especially psychiatry. But do that by way of a little bit of your background, if you would. Okay. Um, I was born here in Tallahassee um, and thought, you know, didn't think a lot about what I was going to do with my future any more than other kids do. But at one point, wanted to be a school teacher. My mother had been a school teacher. Um, And then probably fifth grade, I started reading Cherry Ames nurse novels. Um, along with um, the detective. I can't remember the name of the girl detective that I, I was reading one of, too. But anyway, I was reading Cherry Ames novels. Decided I'd be a nurse, and the more I read the Cherry Ames novels, I realized that she knew a lot, but she didn't get to make the decisions. <laughs> and so by fifth or sixth grade, I was that's when I decided I was going to be a doctor. Um, and it was a little unusual at that point in time for women to be in medicine. I mean, Women had been in medicine for a long, long time, but I didn't know any. Um, and I just never changed after that. That's so amazing. All the conversations we've had over the years mm-hmm. during our lunches together, I never knew that. So as early as the fifth grade, oh, yeah, fifth, you knew what grade, you wanted. I knew what I was going to do. And um, <clears throat> in some ways, I became unifocused. And that was it. I mean, that was the goal. That's what I was going to do no matter what. And I was not a terrible, I mean, I'm, I'm bright, but I was not a great student. Um, it took a lot of work, a lot of work. Um, and I missed a lot because I was so unifocused, or a lot of things my friends did and that I never did. Um, but yeah, that was, that was the goal starting around fifth or sixth grade. That's amazing. I'm, I'm glad you shared that because sometimes we get so focused on a goal. Mm-hmm. Would you call it unifocused? I was unifocused. I mean, that was it. I didn't, you know, wasn't wasn't going to shift from that path. So to pursue that, that meant by definition you had to give up other things. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Any regrets? Um, in some ways, I think that I would have liked to have traveled some, like a lot of my peers took off some time and went to Europe and you know did some other things, um, played more in college. Um, I always regretted not going to the march on Washington in the 70s mm-hmm. about Vietnam. Right. But, I mean, where I was in school, I was living in the library and just didn't go. Um, so I went to the Women's March instead back in um, when Bush was president. I did not know you did that. I did that. That's so that all kinds of new things. That was my, 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 <clears throat> my contribution to social action. Um, but yeah, so yeah, it, it, that was that was my goal in life, and that's what I was going to do. How did you end up settling on a specialty in psychiatry? Um, it sort of settled on me. I went to um, college and med school planning to be a, an orthopedic surgeon. I'd had some experience in at TMH. I started working there as a um, candy striper, or I think it was called the Caduceus Club. It was the pre-med club. Um, when I was in high school, and then spent the summer after I graduated high school working in the ER, which at that time did not have doctors staffed in the ER. There was a nurse, um, a tech, and, and the clerk, who was me. And when you needed the doc, you'd call who was on call and call them in. So 
I had a lot of exposure to things that summer and decided I was going to be a, an orthopedic surgeon. So you learned a, learned a lot. That just, summer? Just... It was an incredible summer, yeah. yeah. Um, and then I worked at the hospital again one other summer during college, but it was not quite the learning experience that ER was. But yeah, no, I was going to be an orthopedic surgeon. I interviewed for orthopedic residencies. Um, and it wasn't until the very end of my senior year of medical school, um, in conversation with a friend and his wife, she and I were trying to convince him not to go into internal medicine, but to go into psychiatry because we really thought that's where he ought to be. And his wife, who was a psychologist, turned to me and said, Ellen, your arguments are too good. Are you sure you're not trying to convince yourself too? And I'd never thought of it. I mean... <laughs> Never thought of it. She turned the tables on you, she didn't did. she? She did. And so I, I still did a surgery internship. Um, and during that year, began to think about it and realize that what I really liked about orthopedics, I was going to do um, prosthetics and orthotics, um, things related to rehab so that you have a longer-term relationship with the patient, not just set the bone and they're gone. Yes. Um, and so that, and I'd done a, a psychiatry elective at the VA with people who were um, in wheelchairs. Um, and so um, that kind of made me rethink that that was what I wanted with something with a, I thought about the family medicine too, but ended up in psych. Let's spend a moment on that. <clears throat> so you had your mind made up to go into medicine. Mm -hmm. Then you had your mind made up to be an orthopedic surgeon. Mm -hmm. And then you veered off. So let's talk about how that applies in everyone's lives in one way or another. Sometimes okay. we want something so badly and then something comes along to change our sense of direction. Let's talk about that and how that's happened with you and other things in life, because I've learned a lot from you about this whole concept of self-care. Take better care of ourselves. So how does make, how does making a decision different than what you always thought you should do and making that change, how does that come in under the concept of self-care? Um, I think for most people I know, and for me for sure, um, you get kind of hit on the head in order to really do self-care. People kind of go along. Some people come to that naturally. Um, they always exercise. They always eat right. That's just how they have always done. Most people I know have gotten hit on the head by some illness or a family illness or something that says the path I'm on is not the one I need to be on. Uh, I'm guilty of that. That heart-shaped pillow of theirs to remind me That's of my right. heart surgery right. in 2008 right. yeah. and changed my world. Yeah. And 2008 was when I made some changes, too, because I had started to get my blood sugars higher and higher. And I knew, um, and my mother at that point already had probably early to moderate dementia. And I had been doing some reading and saw that um, prediabetes and diabetes might be a contributor to dementia. Um, so I had already decided that I was going to watch carefully my sugars, and they'd start to climb, never to diabetic range, but what would be considered pre-diabetic, and decided to start making some changes, just because whatever I could do to protect myself, if possible, from the dementia. Some people listening to this are going to be thinking, okay, I've got my main mind made up. I've got to do X, Y, or Z. Maybe it's I'm going to retire at a certain age. Mm -hmm. And then something comes along to change that, and they can't handle that change, it eats them up. Let's talk about that for a moment, about being forced to make a change. You lose your job, or you get a cut in pay. You have to be transferred somewhere. Let's talk about from your training, how do we deal with things like that to have a better quality of life? 
Um, interestingly, I had to confront that at that time because what happened was in 08, when I started making dietary changes um, and following the pyramid. The food pyramid? The food pyramid. Um, I got sicker and sicker and sicker and sicker. And there were a bunch of things contributing to that. Um, but I literally had reached a point where I felt like I couldn't practice as well as I had been. And I was um, in one of my favorite jobs. I was working with students at FSU, and I just loved working with the students. I remember that. Uh, it was just one of the favorite things I'd, my favorite things I'd It was done. a passion. It wasn't yeah, just a I job. Loved it. Yeah, it was great. Um, and I had several big stressors in my life, and I had to make some changes, and the fastest, easiest stressor to deal with was work. And so I quit my job. Actually, I was thinking about stopping practicing medicine altogether then. Um, and, uh, and it was really hard. But um, I had also started around that time, so 08, 08 09, um, had gotten looking at alternative me medicine, mm -hmm. not just conventional Western <clears throat> medicine, and had started reading about meditation and mindfulness and I've always been a planner. I am always several years down the road, you know, what am I going to be doing? Yes. Um, and, you know, not a worrier, but I do worry about things. I'm almost never in the present or wasn't. Um, and so had been doing some reading, had started doing some meditation, mindful meditation in particular was what I was doing, and began to be able to say, okay, what is the reality of now and how do I cope with the reality of now, not what I would want, not what might be, but now. And that, that made it easier to activate some other plans. Okay, let's, let's spend a moment on that. <clears throat> so you're doing a job you love. Mm -hmm. You're passionate about it. Was the job itself causing stress? Or there was were, it yes, no, there were work stressors. Um, they certainly weren't necessarily the highest of the stressors in my life at the time, but it, at that time, it was the easiest to do something about. Okay. So you left a job that you enjoyed doing, you mm -hmm. loved doing, you said, mm -hmm. because you knew if you continue with that, it's going to continue to cause stress and would have an impact on your health. On my, and I was afraid that I was going to reach a point where I wasn't providing the level of care that I wanted to provide. Okay. So that was my concern. All right. Explain the difference between meditation and you used the word a couple of times, mindful. Mindfulness is a kind of meditation. Um, a lot of people have heard of transcendental meditation. Um, there, there are multiple ways to meditate, and they do different things in the brain. Um, mindfulness is a way of kind of focusing on the here and now and how you're experiencing the world right now. Being present. Being present. So you might, I mean, the easiest thing to do is focus on your breathing. Um, and then you can also focus on what you're experiencing. And as opposed to a mind-clearing kind of meditation, you're supposed to focus on, you know, breathing sensations, whatever. But if your thoughts are there, you focus on those. What are they? But you don't react to them. You don't judge them. Um, so it's, it's, and I found it really helpful. I'm not good at meditation. I've tried it. Mm -hmm. But... What has helped me, a friend taught me, that you cannot get rid of the thoughts. They're going to appear. Right. But try to visualize that thought as a bubble, a balloon, and you just poke it with a pen and it goes away. 
it helped a lot. But the breathing part I learned because of martial arts and some training with some mm-hmm. Navy SEALs that when they're under stress, you think, okay, these big macho guys, you know, they're going to go in and shoot everybody. Well, the first thing they focus on is get themselves under control with breathing. Right, be breathing. And it was really surprising to learn that. Mm-hmm. that They had to control the breathing because they were all jacked up with adrenaline, how to get myself calm. So there are many ways of using this technique, right. isn't there? And, and there are other specific, aside from meditation, there are other specific deep breathing exercises you can do. And I had learned those too. Um, that you can, to, to calm at the moment, you know. We'll have to have lunch again one day. My <laughs> treat, you got to teach okay. me some of this, okay? <laughs> okay. <clears throat> I want to spend some time on self-care. Okay. You were talking earlier before we got started today where we're having lunch. You are talking about some of the things that make up this whole concept of self-care. And, and I've written some down, but if you would just kind of, whatever pops into your head, share with our audience. Okay. Um, <laughs> well, I think there's a lot of broad areas. Um, exercise is one, um, how you're eating is another, um, getting adequate sleep, um, learning self-care for stress, um, and, and how to minimize stress when you can. What um, I deal with in my retirement planning work is people that get hung up on the money side. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to educate people, and that's why I have guests like you, to help people think about retirement not just as money, you may end up retiring and live longer in retirement than you had in your career. Right. So if you don't take care of yourself with these things and being observant today in your 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, however old you are, what if you live to be 100 years old, but you're you're not functionally fit? You're not able to take care of yourself. That's why I find it to be interesting to have this kind of conversation. And it's not too late. Never too late, is it? Yeah, I don't think so. Um, Actually... Started getting my, my dad had, had been active when he was younger and then spent 15 years caretaking my mother and really didn't do anything physically for himself. You know, self-care was at the bottom of his um, priorities at that point, to take care of my mother. And then I think, I don't remember exactly, but um, probably within a year or two after she died, um, we got a trainer to come to the house to get him to start exercising. And it just was a huge difference and now he walks once or twice a day and he does his um and he's in his 90s so he does his that you know his resistance training that she gave him resistance bands to use and wall push-ups things like that and it's just he's remarkable okay explain what happened why is it that getting physically involved with your training what takes place to where the brain changes and now you're more energetic and you're more productive. What's happening? Well, I can't tell you necessarily at a physiological level because I, I just haven't gotten into that part of it. But, I mean, it does. And one, exercise increases the endorphins in your brain, so the feel good. Um, and but, but when you are physically active, it also increases your energy level. So yes. you're more likely to do things that you'd be more active doing. Um, and when you're older, it yeah, I think it makes you more confident in your movement. Um, if you're really hesitant all the time and afraid you're going to fall or might fall because you're just not able to mobilize yourself that well, um, it makes things more difficult. So the more and and they've shown that you can they can take eighty year olds and do strength training and over about a twelve week period, you know, twice a week right. doing strength training, increase muscle tone, uh, muscle mass by thirty percent. 
Amazing. So, yeah. So it's not too late to get started. And, and particularly for older adults, I mean, we always hear a lot about aerobics, but strength training is really important too. I think it's we very lose important. muscle. We just as we age, we lose muscle, and the more you can do to work to build it, the better. I discovered that in uh, 2011, I hired a personal trainer three days a week, mm-hmm. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, six a.m. Still using uh, a trainer, but a different one now. And for me, if I miss, if I miss a day of either walking or doing my strength training, I feel lethargic. Mm-hmm. But I could be tired. Well, this morning, 5:15, I wake up and I go, oh, I don't want to go to the gym. I went anyway. And then within 10 minutes, I'm like, wow, I feel great. But the days that I put it off, I find that my energy level goes down, which is crazy. You think, well, you're not working out, therefore you have more energy. But you get energy being physically active. And, and, I mean, so it's not a matter of either or. You know, you can do some aerobics, do some strength training. Uh, My husband and I do yoga, so we get the stretching and, um, and deep breathing and um, so there are all kinds of, you know, for flexibility and so forth. So you can do a variety of things. A lot but of the people, strength training is really, I think that gets neglected and it's really important for older age people. I'm glad you're bringing that up because I want to talk about what happens with the aging process from the standpoint of people listening to this. A lot of them are probably mid-60s, might even be in their 70s. And they're more concerned about how do I take care of myself in retirement financially but also hopefully they're thinking about nutrition and exercise. So I'm glad you brought that up about strength training because most people, I think, are neglecting that. Yeah, I do. they'll go out and walk or run or swim, but not do the strength training. Absolutely. I mean, you get some resistance training swimming. But. I, I will tell you, at 65, I am stronger today than I was at 35 from a strength standpoint. Mm-hmm. Jay and I were laughing one day. I, I was able to leg press 618 pounds. Wow. You know, and I would never have been able to do that when I was 35 years old. Yeah. Had to work up to it. Had to work up to it. Talk a little bit about what you think is most important for people who are nearing retirement and they're about to have a change. You you have retired. I'm semi. Semi. So talk a little bit about what we need to be thinking of, whether it be nutrition, exercise, social networks, whatever you think comes to mind that we need to be thinking about as we enter this thing called retirement or semi-retirement? Well, one thing I thought about was what am I going to do with my time? I mean, I knew I wanted to spend more time with my friends, so that's one thing. I mean, social activity is really important for healthy aging, um, I think, for for most people. Um, So I, I, some of that time I now have, because I'm not working but 10 hours a week, um, I spend more time with friends. Um, but I also heard, and, and I, I haven't done that much research on it, but, um, you know, that new learning was important. Not, one of the things I'm not sure is when does something that you're newly learning become not new learning anymore. So, mm. <laughs> but it, it needed to be a change from what you were normally doing. And so I'm, I've always been kind of academically oriented and not done much creatively except in my backyard. So. Um, so I thought, I think one of the things to think about what you want to do that is new learning. Um, so I have a lot of ideas that I might try and I might stick with some of them, but they're all in the arts and music area as opposed to learning new subject matter, but learning new subject matter other than arts and, I mean, that's learning new subject matter, but not, not learning academic stuff. A lot of reading I've done would say learn a new language because it Mm -hmm. makes the brain work, uh, martial arts. 
A lot of people in their 60s and right. 70s. Pick up a new sport. Right. Mm-hmm. Yoga. Something different that. than you've done before, yeah. I, I found that the martial arts classes I was going to help me not only get stronger, uh, cardio was good, but when I was there, I couldn't think about business. I couldn't think about a family issue because mm-hmm. I had to be in the moment, being present. If not, I'd get smacked. You know, yeah, somebody right. would hit me yeah, or something. right. So it allowed me to just be there, but yet I was getting several things at one time. Mm-hmm. And to learn the moves, I had to be thinking, especially when I was doing Taekwondo. Nice. So so what you're saying is if we're doing that with a purpose, but we're having fun with it, then we're much more likely to continue doing it too, aren't we? Yeah, I mean, and I, again, I'm not sure, you know, when you talk about doing something new, I think part of the the you know, improving your or continuing your, your neurons to, to grow um, is learning to master something. So, you know, learning a new language, you've got to master it. Learning a new instrument, um, taking up a new hobby. Or if you've been pretty creative most of your life and focused in that area, maybe learning a whole new field that's, some, you know, something different. Right. I've heard psychiatrists and psychologists in the past on panels say that if you were busy working all day, let's say as an accountant, try to find something totally different to do as a hobby so that when you're ready to retire, you right. have something to retire to. Because right. sadly, I see people who are running away from something entirely, and you have others who are retiring to something. But if you're running away because you hate the people you work with, you hate your job, retirement is probably going to be very, very miserable. Right. But if you're retiring to something, you still have friends, you're happy going back to the old job to say hi to people. But I see people from both spectrums. Some, they can't stand retirement. They sit in front of a television all day and they're depressed. I see others are out active doing things. And I, I know people who've done other jobs. You know, they retire from a primary career and they may take another job that's has different demands, different social needs, and and may have some flexibility to it, and and they love it. And then I know people who love what they're doing now and wouldn't think about leaving and retiring. You just made me think of a friend who is an attorney who he retired. I mean, just we were all shocked. No more legal work at all. Mm -hmm. He is a fishing guide half a day. He Mm -hmm. said, I only do one half day trips three days a week. That's it. The guy loves it, and he's happy. And he doesn't need the money. He does it because he enjoys being around other people. Mm-hmm. He's doing what he loves doing. Right. He loves it. And you just, you just made me think about that. Let's talk a little bit about the importance of rest and sleep. You and I have had this conversation many times we about have. sleeping. So talk to me a little bit about the, the importance of it. Um, sleep is really important. The more and more research is showing that we really need a good seven, eight hours and it is a time when the brain resets, it clears. Um, some of, I mean, think about it kind of in a, a simplistic way. Is it, It's helpful in terms of clearing debris metabolically from the brain. Um, new learning can take place during sleep. All kinds of things that are good for us take, take place during sleep. Um, there's you know, certain brain waves at night that are a part of also physical function in terms of uh, not getting that kind of sleep can increase chronic pain. So sleep is really important. And we live in a society that in some ways values getting by with less sleep. 
People um, brag about it. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I can, and and I mean, I I used to say, oh, I get by on only four to five hours of sleep, and I did that most of my life. Um, and I think that was a part of what caught up to me. And oh wait, you can only you know do so much to yourself for for a while. Um, and so I started regularly. I'm still not a good sleeper. I never was, but I get about six now, which is for me a lot. Sometimes seven. But I give myself the time to get seven or eight sleep hours of sleep. Okay, let's and address that. For people listening to this who are saying, mm-hmm. wow, I'm envious, tell us what you did. Take us through the steps what you did to improve that. Going from four okay. hours to six hours, that's a, that, that's a that's big a change. Lot. The one thing, it wasn't the one thing. One thing that I had to do, and this goes back to the first thing you talked about, I had to accept that I couldn't get as much done. I mean, I would literally stay up until one, sometimes two in the morning to get things done because I'm a night owl. Um, and then I get up and be ready for, you know, go to work. Well, I've lost, if I'm going to go to bed earlier, I've now lost two hours of time each day to get things done. And so I had to accept that a lot of things on my list weren't going to get done. The and, priorities had to be reestablished. Things and knowing by you, the wayside. That had to be difficult. That was very difficult. Because you're a get-it-done <laughs> kind of person. And that if you make a commitment, you do it. But, yeah. So I, and, I, and, I, and I've... Been hard. It's kind of hard to stick to that because I, you know, get closer and closer to times when it's twelve thirty, one o'clock, and I haven't headed to bed. But I, I work on going to bed earlier than I did. Did you do anything to change the sleeping environment? Um, well, over the years, I have done that. I'm a very, very light sleeper. I would hear every branch and twig move outside, and so. Me too. <laughs> yeah. So earplugs, and I used to recommend this to my patients too, especially at the university where there's noise all the time too. Um, I wear earplugs. I have a white noise machine, and I have an eye mask. I don't have the noise machine. I got to learn more about that. When I travel in my suitcase, mm-hmm. I always have earplugs, two sets in case I lose one of them, mm-hmm. and a uh, sleeping mask. Yes, right, and that, I think that's made a huge difference because. Um, there's light all the time. I mean, unless you happen to live outside the city of Tallahassee, I mean, you, you know, even if your curtains are closed, light from street lights and stuff sneaks in underneath and on the sides. And... Especially traveling. And, and my oh, yeah. pet peeve is they'll leave uh, the curtains four or five inches yeah. too short and you right. have light. Or these televisions, you have these dead gum little right. LED lights, lights on them right. that drive me nuts. So I'll find myself taking uh, bath towels and putting right. it in front of these things if I don't have a mask. But I really had to work at making myself take that amount of time for possible sleep. And that, I mean, I had I gave up two hours a day of stuff to get, you know, getting stuff done. Hard. But what you gained from that was a better quality of life. I think so. I mean, I'm certainly doing better now than I have been in, in a, almost a decade now. But um, and I'm sure the, the extra sleep is part of that. I heard a speaker in Hawaii back in 2000 that got me on the subject of sleep. And he was talking about how people get up, they go exercise, they run hard at work. He said, folks, sometimes the best thing you can do is sleep another 30 yeah. minutes for an hour and not yeah. go to the gym. I mean, we, we grossly underestimate the value of sleep in this country. Sure do. Have you done anything like, uh, I've tried this, making the room cooler? Do mm-hmm. you find that that helps? We keep, we keep the thermostat low in the winter. Um and run a fan along with our AC at night. Yeah. And I've, I've read varying reports of what the best sleep temperature is, but I've seen anywhere from like 62 to 67 or 68 to 72, but somewhere in that range. Right. Yeah. A lot it makes of a big difference. 
one of the speakers at a conference I went to two years ago, sponsored by some retired Navy SEALs, they brought a guy in to focus on breathing. He's mm-hmm. a breathing specialist. Mm-hmm. He had his breathing different ways for an hour. And then they brought a person to talk about the importance of sleep. And he was saying that the ideal temperature, according to studies, was about 68 degrees. And then people were saying, oh, that'd be too cold. You know, so it just depends on your preference. Yeah. yeah. Let's talk about keeping the brain active. You may, you touched on that a moment ago about learning something new. What are some of the other things we can do to keep the brain active, but at the same time handle some stress? Because I find if I get my brain going too much, my issue is my brain's like um, the uh, rockets in Star Wars, you know, like boom, 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 boom. It's just all these thoughts. So how do we go about keeping the brain active, but then learning how to stop it or slow it down? Well, I mean. How do we do that? If you're talking about, you know, just too many ideas to handle at one time kind of thing. Um, which could happen at any age. True. And my guess is that you were like that when you were younger as well. I've always been that way. <laughs> but, I mean, <clears throat> there, there are different ways of, of kind of stepping back. Um, and and some for some people that means just, I'm a, a big believer in green. I think going outside and walking outside is far more stress relieving than walking on a treadmill. I mean, totally. for the exercise standpoint... Walking on a treadmill is good and provides also some stress reduction in terms of the kind of stress reduction exercise provides. But I think being outside also makes a big difference. So, I agree. I don't care. Even if it's raining, I'd rather be outside walking and getting the fresh air and just being in the elements. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that's good. So even if people can take a 10-minute walk outside, you know, and it doesn't have to be an exercise walk, um, that that's good. Um, anything that they find particularly relaxing to build in time during the day for that. You know, at night, you know, when you first get home or at the end of the day, making some time to do something that's fun and relaxing. Um, And, I mean, just in terms of other, there are specific kinds of stress reduction techniques. And we we talked about deep breathing. That's one of them. There are multiple ways of doing that. There's not just one way to do deep breathing. Um, But learning that, learning meditation, you know, various forms of meditation, all of it help in terms of stress reduction. We live in a hurry-up society mm-hmm. where we're rushing, rushing, rushing. Uh, what are your thoughts on ways to deal with the expectations that we have of ourselves and others have of us in a manner? Because you've made some decisions that I'm, I promise you, some of your colleagues look at you and say, wow, why did you make those changes? Because professional Top of your game, but you made some tough decisions to cut back on some things. So I how, do. how can we learn from and that? Was that was that was that's been a very hard. I've cut back on lots of things. I don't entertain as much because I started paying attention to, as opposed to how much can I do and what, how much energy do I expend to get it all done, um, which was not productive for me. Um, well, it was productive at the time. It was counterproductive, counterproductive to my health. Um, it's, uh, the expectation issue is huge because I always expected a lot of me. I ought to, I ought to be able to get everything done. And it's just a restructuring of how I think about things, reframing. Um, you know, there is no way I can maintain my health and get what done, what needs to be done and things I want to be done, want to do get done, um, and do everything. 
so I don't entertain as much. Um, I pay really close attention to how much, if I'm getting ready to do something, how much stress it's engendering, even something fun, you know. Um, if it's if I'm really feeling overwhelmed at the prospect of going off and doing a trip for a few days, maybe it's not worth it. Um, or if I'm you know doing something, if I want to you know cook a huge meal for friends and then I start tackling it and realize this is not going to work for right. me, then I'll scale back what I'm doing. So you've given yourself permission right. to say, this is not feeling right. right. I'm and not going it. to do it. Right. And you don't worry about what other people think. Right. Right. And that reminds, that, was huge. <laughs> say, that reminds me of something that I, I say a lot. And I just wrote it down while you were talking. FOMO versus JOMO. FOMO is fear of missing out. Uh-huh. I've gotten to one where I practice JOMO, the joy of missing out. The joy of missing out, yeah. There's just yeah. a lot of things I don't need to know anymore. Right. And I find that I don't miss it. I mean, I used to go home every night and watch CNN, Fox, Fox Business News, MSNBC, and all I would do is get angry, listen to all the talking heads. Now I don't do much of that. If I watch something, it's for a few minutes and move on. But it's the joy of missing out on what everybody thinks I should know. Well, I had this incredible <laughs> insight. When I was, as you know, I kind of escaped to the beach at times. I was hoping you'd talk about that. And on one of my escapes, there are two things I love to do when I'm walking on the beach. One, I like to look for shells. I've collected shells since I was a kid. And the other is look for dolphins. And it struck me as I was walking down the beach one day that I could not do both at the same time. (laughs) If I were looking at shells, looking for shells, I would not be looking up at the water in case a dolphin swam by. If I were looking for dolphins, you can't look closely at the shells you're walking past. And that was just an incredible insight that you absolutely cannot do two things at once and that you will always, always, always miss something. No matter what choice you make, you give up something else. And I was like, why did I have to be in my 60s to have that insight? Um, But that has made a huge difference. In terms of being able to cut back, to say no, that insight alone made it easier to do that. That is a powerful visual. You're walking on the beach, you're looking Mm -hmm. for shells, but you're missing everything in the water, the dolphins swimming around. Mm -hmm. But if you look into the dolphins, then you miss out on the shells. So life is a series of choices. You're going to miss out on something no matter what. No matter what. You cannot not miss something if you make a choice to do something else. So what advice would you offer people listening to this who are struggling with an issue where this is what I really want to do, but other people, whether it be a family member, my boss, a colleague, they're expecting me to do something over here. How do you, what would you advise us to do to be focused more on what we want, but yet not just turn our back on the world? Hmm. That's a good question. Um, well, one, in terms of certain choices, is that nothing's written in stone. So if you make a decision and it wasn't the right one, most times you can re- recorrect um, <coughs> with other choices. Um, and the other is uh, life short. <laughs> so, um, you know, the other people's expectations of us in large measure, have to be reevaluated along the way. 
I have changed my thinking on that. I used to say life's too short to do X, Y, or Z. Now I say no, life's too long. Because if I don't do something I really wanted, and I live to be 100 years old, I keep some books over here. George Burns lived mm-hmm. to be 100 years old. Yeah, Kirk Douglas right. is 101. So what if I live to be 100 years old and I didn't take care of myself? So what will the quality of life be Right. if I live 30, 40 more years? Right. So I look at it, life could be long, so I better think that way also. And I'm doing everything in my power to educate people who listen. It's not just about having more money in your retirement account. It's not about having a bigger beach house or a bigger home. Right. What are you going to do if you have all this stuff and you can't and you can't it. enjoy it? Right. What good is that? Right. And that's where the self-care comes in. I mean, um, it'd be nice if if we started earlier. I think a lot of us get a wake-up call as we're as we're aging. Um, but you can begin exercising. You can learn stress reduction. You can change your diet. You can do all kinds of things to make life better. You know, as you're going another maybe thirty years, right, uh, or more. We're we're getting close to uh, to the end here, closing. But I would like you to touch on something you've helped me with over the years, and that is something I think you called emotional self care. Talk about that for just a moment. We talked about the physical, the nutrition. Talk about the emotional side just a moment. What, um, what do you mean by emotional self-care? Well, and, and some of that is just being aware of your own stress level. Some people have much higher stress tolerance than others. and so, um, But paying attention to what, what your own stress level is when it reaches, we all need stress. We don't grow and change without stress. So the question is when the stress becomes counterproductive. Um, and that's different levels for different people. They may have different ways of knowing that. Um, you know, everybody has their own kind of body signals or mental signals within that when they're at a, at a high stress level. Um, and then being able to do what you can to decrease that, that level. We talked about meditation and deep breathing. Those are the things that can be done on a short term. Um, one of the things I've, I've done, and again, each person has to find their own thing, I, I take an escape week. Um, I, I love the beach. I find beach and water more relaxing than anything else. Um, and so back in 08, 09, when I quit work for um, a period of time, I went for six weeks. And for the first five of those, I never even turned on the television or radio. So I like to get away where it's quiet. Um, and I read and I walk for hours and just, you know, First don't time. do anything. No, no, no demands. The first time you told me about that, I remember my reaction. I was like, you do what? You just get away by yourself. You leave the mm-hmm. family. You get away for a week. And you just, you either walk, you rest, read. you read. Right. There are no demands. Like I said, there's just, you know, it's not, if I did it at home, there's always something there. Mm-hmm. That you're never without some chore on your list at home. And even if you're sitting there trying to do nothing, you might spot something to do. If I go away and I'm in a hotel room for a week, there's nothing, you know? It's like, it, it's just me and the books and the waves. Right. So. Uh, would you mind sharing with us what you read when you get away like that? Uh, murder mysteries, mostly. Murder mysteries. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nothing helps me veg out more than murder mysteries. No, you're not trying to plan a murder, are you? No, no. Okay. No. So just, <laughs> just for fun. <laughs> All right. Okay. Uh, Dr. Ellen Berkowitz. Closing thoughts. Anything you would just, anything at all you'd like to share with people to help them get some direction in this thing called retirement? 
Well, I think in terms of what we're talking about, which is making sure you can do it as well as you can physically and mentally, just making sure you exercise, sleep, eat good nutrition, um, and you know, if possible, have lots of social network and support network, and know your own limits, and kind of honor them. And just go toward the goals and things you want to do. Yeah. And learn how to say no to a few things. Right? That's right. <laughs> I have difficulty with that one. I'm getting better at it. You've helped me a lot with that over the years. Ellen, thank you so much. My pleasure. It's a pleasure. Pleasure. If you would like to know more about John Curry Services, you can request a complimentary information package by visiting johnhcurry.com slash podcast. Again, that is johnhcurry.com slash podcast. Or you can call his office at 850-562-3000. Again, that is 850-562-3000. John H. Curry, Chartered Life Underwriter, Chartered Financial Consultant, Accredited Estate Planner, Master's in Science and Financial Services, Certified in Long-Term Care, Registered Representative and Financial Advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC. Securities, products, and services and advisory services are offered through Park Avenue Securities, a registered broker-dealer and investment advisor. Financial representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, New York, New York. Park Avenue Securities is an indirect, wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. North Florida Financial Corporation is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Park Avenue Securities. Park Avenue Securities is a member of FINRA and SIPC. This material is intended for general public use. By providing this material, we are not undertaking to provide investment advice for any specific individual or situation or to otherwise act in a fiduciary capacity. Please contact one of our financial professionals for guidance and information specific to your individual situation. All investments contain risk and may lose value. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Guardian, its subsidiaries, agents, or employees do not provide legal, tax, or accounting advice. Please consult with your attorney, accountant, and or tax advisor for advice concerning your particular circumstances, not affiliated with the Florida Retirement System. The Living Balance Sheet and the Living Balance Sheet logo are registered service marks of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, New York, New York. Copyright 2005 through 2018. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by Park Avenue Securities or Guardian and opinions stated are their own.